0: Due to the graphic nature of this podcast, listener discretion is advised. This episode features discussions of child abuse, attempted infanticide, sexuality, sexual assault, pedophilia, and other adult content. We advise extreme caution for listeners under 13.
1: Gypsy Rose Lee, the most famous stripper in America, had just released her autobiography.
0: It was an instant hit with thousands of fans wanting to know the real story behind this witty, sexy woman.
1: So much so that in 1957, musical theater producer David Merrick approached playwright Arthur Lawrence to turn the book into a musical. But Lawrence wasn't interested. Sure, the real gypsy was sultry, funny, and charming, but a successful striptease act didn't necessarily make a five-star musical.
0: Then, at a party one night, Lawrence met a woman who had known Rose Hovick, Gypsy's now-deceased mother. She spun a tale of a vibrant and baffling woman who would do anything to make her daughters stars. Lawrence had found his story. years later, Gypsy, A Musical Fable, became one of the most successful musicals in American theater history. Ethel Merman, who you just heard singing, played the character of Mama Rose. Lawrence's show exposed America to the cruel, intense, and larger-than-life story of a top-notch stage mother for the first time.
1: But as shocking and over-the-top as Mama Rose in Gypsy, A Musical Fable is, it doesn't hold a candle to the real Rose Hovick.
0: This is The Dark Side Of, a ParCast original. In this show, we delve into the seedy underbelly of pop culture icons and historical events.
1: We aim to expose the ugly truth behind the cultural moments and public figures we hold most dear, proving that there is always more to the story than meets the eye.
0: This week, we'll take a look at some of Hollywood's most notorious stage moms, willing to push their children to unbelievable extremes in their relentless pursuit of making their daughters stars. At ParCast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at Parcast Network.
1: And if you enjoy today's episode, the best way to help us is to leave a five-star review wherever you're listening. It really does help us. We also now have merchandise. Head to parcast.com slash merch for more information. Today, audiences are familiar with the terrifying Stage Moms of Reality series, like Toddlers in Tiaras and Dance Moms. But this overbearing, morally questionable mother archetype goes back over a hundred years to the beginning of Hollywood itself. Historically, these successful stage mothers have been applauded for their love and devotion to their children. Yet, they have also been criticized for their cruelty, manipulation, and cutthroat strategies.
0: In fact, by today's psychology standards, Rose Hovick would probably be diagnosed with narcissistic personality disorder.
1: According to doctors Caligore, Levy, and Yeomans, as referenced in the American Journal of Psychiatry, the, quote, "...hallmarks of narcissistic personality disorder, or NPD, are grandiosity, a lack of empathy for other people, and a need for admiration." People with this condition are frequently described as arrogant, self-centered, manipulative, and demanding. They may also have grandiose fantasies and may be convinced that they deserve special treatment. These characteristics typically begin in early adulthood and must be consistently evident in multiple contexts, such as at work and in relationships.
0: Essentially, an NPD person will be obsessed with success, feel they or their children are uniquely deserving of the best, and tend to ignore the feelings and needs of others, often to the point of causing others physical or emotional harm.
1: To officially be diagnosed with NPD, a person must consistently show five out of nine indicators as described by the DSM-5 official diagnostic tool. Rose Hovick had all nine.
0: An amateur performer herself, she was known to believe that she was uniquely destined for greatness from a young age.
1: She consistently believed social and legal rules did not apply to her and expected others to go out of their way to appease whatever demands she had.
0: However, she was a middle-class nobody from Seattle with no rational reason to believe she was this important other than her father's modest wealth and her better-than-average schooling.
1: Her delusions of grandeur began as a preteen. She was attending a Catholic boarding school and genuinely believed that God had created a special path for her and her alone to rise to greatness. She proved her point to the nuns by making paper dolls out of her Bible pages, then pointing out that God still provided her positive opportunities.
0: Her lying and need for the stage also began around this time. Rose wanted to join a local vaudeville stage act, which was strictly prohibited. Rather than listen, she tricked the nuns into believing she was going home sick to her father in Seattle.
1: Once the nuns realized she hadn't gone home, they launched a frantic search. They found her a month later belting her heart out center stage on the vaudeville circuits. She was 12 at the time.
0: Rose had her first taste of stardom, and she wasn't going to let it go, even if life tried to get in the way.
1: At barely 18, Rose married her first husband, John Jack Hovick, in her hometown of Seattle, Washington. It was 1910, and Rose was already one month pregnant with her first child.
0: The birth was rough. At a whopping 12 pounds, the baby tore up Rose's insides on the way out. Rose wouldn't fully recover from these wounds until she could afford surgery years later.
1: Rose immediately believed her baby was unlike other children. Ellen June Hovick was born with the placental sac covering her face, a superstitious sign that the baby would be able to see the future. This, combined with her dark hair and dark eyes, led to Rose giving the baby the nickname of Gypsy.
0: Rose began entering Ellen June in beautiful baby contests almost as soon as she was born. Ellen June's first official win, at just one year old, marked the beginning of her career in entertainment.
1: Around the same time, Rose found out she was pregnant again. She was horrified, possibly because of the terrible first birth experience And possibly because she didn't particularly like being a mother, Rose did not want to have another child.
0: She tried to intentionally miscarry the child. Her attempts included throwing herself down the stairs, bathing in scalding water, jabbing herself in the stomach, and refusing food for days on end.
1: Nothing worked. And in November of 1912, A second baby was born, just about two years younger than her sister.
0: The second baby was a much smaller child, no doubt due to her mother's attempts to terminate the pregnancy. She was also the physical opposite of her sister. In addition to being tiny, she had beautiful blonde curls and blue eyes, light where her sister was dark.
1: As explained by psychiatrist Mark Banschik, M.D., Narcissistic mothers tend to see children as an extension of their own dreams as well as tools to achieve their own glory.
0: Narcissistic parents also tend to have a favorite or golden child whom they give everything.
1: Following both these narcissistic patterns, Rose immediately transferred her love to her second baby, so much so that she took her first child's name, Ellen June, and legally gave it to her second child. The new baby was called June for short.
0: This left her first child needing a new name. Rose renamed the first child Rose Louise. Since Rose already went by Rose, the eldest daughter was called Louise. She wasn't even two, and she'd had her name taken from her twice.
1: While all of this was happening, Rose's marriage of only three years was undergoing increasing turmoil. Rose was prone to verbally abusing her husband, then storming out with the girls, only to come back and blame the whole fight on Jack.
0: One particularly bad fight surrounded Rose's latest plan for turning her daughters into stars. Rose had found a prestigious dance studio in Seattle that offered lessons for children. She took Louise in hopes of finding a hidden talent.
1: Louise, who was just four years old, did not have any natural rhythm. She was clumsy and lagged behind the other girls her age.
0: Baby June, however, was a natural. June waddled out onto the dance floor and, without instruction, mimicked the other girls beautifully, even rising up onto her toes and doing a perfect split, both of which are incredibly difficult for a two-year-old child.
1: Rose's attention once again shifted from her disappointing eldest daughter to her golden-curled younger child, whom she saw as a prodigy. The head of the dance school agreed and advised Rose to bring June back in a few years.
0: Rose protested, Her child had talent. She should begin right away. The instructor implored her to wait until June was at least seven to buy her point shoes.
1: This was sound medical advice, as the effect of point shoes on children under seven has been equated to the damage and abuse of ancient Chinese foot binding, which literally broke bones and deformed girls' adult feet.
0: Rose wouldn't listen. She went home and excitedly told Jack that their daughter was a savant who needed ballet training right away.
1: Per doctors Caligore, Levy, and Yeomans in the American Journal of Psychology, Rose's behavior here exemplifies narcissistic tendencies to fixate on greatness and believe the rules do not apply to them, while simultaneously ignoring the potential ill effects on others.
0: But Jack refused to pay for point shoes or more lessons. He was probably concerned for June's feet, but also for their precarious financial situation. Rose was furious. She accused Jack of trying to sabotage her and her children, then stormed out of the house, taking her kids with her.
1: This behavior was not out of the ordinary. Usually, after storming out, she would return and make up with Jack. After all, she needed his money. Then the cycle would repeat. When she was particularly upset... Rose would threaten to take all of Jack's missteps and cruelties to the courts, not caring that many were exaggerated or entirely invented.
0: Whether Rose was actively planning for a divorce or her dramatic behavior made it inevitable, in 1914, she went to court. The girls were just four and two, respectively.
1: To win a divorce, Rose had to prove that Jack was not upholding the marriage contract. Rose claimed that Jack had forced them into poor living conditions. She described a damp and dreary apartment that damaged the family's health and then an even worse apartment in a bad part of town.
0: In reality, both apartments were quite nice and well above Jack's modest budget. He had tried his best to please Rose, but as psychiatrist Mark Banschik explains, pleasing a narcissist is an impossible task.
1: Rose absolutely horrified the court when she explained that she'd had to file for a restraining order and nail all the doors and windows shut after Jack stole furniture and beat their daughter Louise.
0: It wasn't clear if either of these events actually happened, but Rose had incredible storytelling skills and dramatic timing.
1: The court was disgusted with Jack, granting Rose full custody and monetary allowances. Jack maintained for the rest of his life that he hadn't done any of the things Rose had claimed, and in fact, she had been the one who hit their daughter.
0: He further maintained that Rose was unpredictable, often acting kind and loving one day, only to fly into a rage the next day, often over an imagined problem. She would throw him out of the house, then accuse him of abandoning them.
1: In his most haunting recollection, Jack described bringing home a kitten for his two beloved daughters. He watched them play with the sweet creature, clearly enjoying themselves and pleased with their father.
0: However, when Jack returned from work that day, he found the poor cat's decapitated body and severed head waiting for him on the floor of their home. Rose had left the bloody hatchet she'd used to kill the kitten in the corner.
1: According to doctors Caligore, Levy, and Yeomans, people with narcissistic personality disorder are known for their ability to manipulate the emotions of audiences and exaggerate the offenses of those around them.
0: They are also prone to being verbally abusive, unstable, and obsessive. They also can become incredibly jealous of anyone who gets attention from their loved ones, such as children or spouses.
1: Rose's behavior in her marriage and at court hits All of these indicators.
0: Free of her first marriage, Rose became immediately fixated on finding a new husband who would understand how special her daughters were and happily bankroll their expenses.
1: She found one within a year and a half. His name was Judson Brennerman, and he was a traveling salesman from Indiana who made good money. They were married in Seattle in May of 1916. The girls were now five and three.
0: Despite Judson making decent money and trying to comply with Rose's demands, the marriage lasted barely 16 months, ending in September of 1917.
1: Judson did not give as many specific complaints as Jack had, but the claims were similar. He cited Rose's astounding cruelty that had caused him to, quote, suffer personal indignities ever since marriage, rendering life burdensome.
0: Rose once again charmed the court. Judson was ordered to pay her $200 immediately and $500 the following year, or a total of $15,000 today, adjusted for inflation.
1: With Judson's money in hand, Rose rented a nice apartment in Seattle and immediately hatched a new scheme. She was going to make her girls vaudeville stars.
0: Up next, Rose becomes the mother of all stage moms.
1: Now, back to the story.
0: It was 1917. 27-year-old Rose Hovick had been divorced twice and won settlements in both cases. She was now living comfortably in Seattle, sending her four- and six-year-old daughters to lessons at the best dance studio in town.
1: She still dreamed of fame, so much so that she ignored the sound medical advice to wait to put her youngest in foot-crushing point shoes.
0: Rose bullied her father into helping pay for June's shoes and lessons when money ran tight, and even convinced him to play the piano at her very first recital. This was absurd, given that her father was vehemently against stage performance.
1: But little June, who was just three years old, was a rousing success. She received favorable write-ups in Seattle papers, and Rose soon had June booked at shows near weekly.
0: Then, Rose realized she could grow her children's fame by entering them into the vaudeville circuits.
1: Vaudeville was a form of theater popular in the 1800s and early 1900s. It was a variety show live performance where 10 to 12 acts would perform.
0: The comedy was typically crude and originally aimed at the all-male audience on the frontier. Unestablished performers would present at individual theaters that allowed one-off acts. More serious groups would tour around a group of six to ten theaters across three or four states, known as circuits.
1: More prestigious circuits required performers to gain the approval of circuit managers before they were allowed to perform on those stages. Performers ranged from amateurs to full professionals, and acts usually included comedy, music, and dancing. Child acts were particularly popular.
0: Rose thought Baby June's incredible dancing would do well with the Seattle's vaudeville audiences. However, from the get-go, Rose did not treat her daughters equally.
1: For one, Rose told her daughters that they were fairy children, and that was part of why they were so special. June was given the preferable treatment in the story. Rose claimed she had found the girls in the petals of plants. June came from a beautiful rose, while Louise came from a cabbage.
0: This story essentially placed June as fundamentally superior to Louise, but still made Louise more important than other normal children. Furthermore, Rose went out of her way to make June appear angelic and superhuman. This included referring to her age as just three, even as June grew older, as well as styling June's costumes to accent her gorgeous curls, blonde hair, and feminine charm.
1: June constantly got new tutus, dresses, and jewels to set her apart from other children. To further accent June's appeal, Rose used Louise to create a striking contrast between her daughters, always at Louise's expense.
0: Louise was forced to perform in her sister's act, dressed as a boy, or in an unattractive ensemble of a too-tight shirt, clunky Mary Janes, and a hat with a strap designed to give her a double chin.
1: Rose also showered June with attention, constantly coaching her, seeing to her cuts and bruises, and forcing her to try out new routines.
0: Some of this attention was appalling. For instance, Ju needed someone to see to her medical needs since her grueling dance schedule was literally breaking her little body. But to Louise, it was all the same. Attention she would never get because she was the unwanted daughter.
1: This structure of the golden child and the unwanted child is typical of narcissists. In her book, The Legacy of Distorted Love, Carol McBride, Ph.D., explains how narcissists make sure their children do not grow up with positive sibling relationships, typically by creating jealousy between them.
0: By preventing the children from depending on each other, the narcissistic parent ensures that the child will be dependent on the parent's love and attention, and therefore is able to control the children more easily.
1: As a result... The golden child develops a narcissism-mimicking personality where they believe their parent is harmless and that the golden child is, in fact, unique and entitled to special care. The unwanted child develops issues with abandonment, perfectionism, and a desperate need for approval.
0: This is exactly what started happening with June and Louise.
1: The valuing of one child above the other could be taken to extremes. For example, Louise had some major dental problems, including twisted, sharp front teeth that cut her lip, as well as a growing number of cavities.
0: Knowing this, Louise's grandfather started saving up to send her to the dentist. Rose found out about the fund and stole that money for new point shoes for June.
1: Rose didn't just steal money from her ex-husbands and her father. If another vaudeville performer had a better act she would steal it. June later recalled in a memoir that none of their material was really ever their own. They took the best parts of other acts and edited them. And the acts Rose stole weren't exactly child-appropriate. One of June's performances relied on the humor of a tiny girl singing the lyrics of a jaded older woman who had a poorly performing sexual partner. June was three or four when she sang it.
0: Louise, on the other hand, was given a crude tomboy routine that made fun of Louise's lack of feminine charm. Louise developed insecurity about her femininity that lasted her entire life.
1: The performance also required five-year-old Louise to lift up her skirt in a sexual manner. Typically, this was met with catcalls from grown men in the audience.
0: Rose saw no problem with this, however. June and Louisa's act was bringing in steady money. And they were even getting positive reviews in local newspapers. Her daughters were going to be stars, and she would do whatever it took to get them there.
1: As the girls hit their limits in the Seattle vaudeville world, Rose set her sights on a new target, Hollywood.
0: Rose saved up money to take June on regular trips to Tinseltown, but began to see Louise as an expensive nuisance. Once, she even tried to get rid of Louise by sending her off to relatives. If Rose's father hadn't found out about it, Louise may have been abandoned altogether.
1: After that, Louise began working hard to be as perfect as possible so that her mother would love her. She began to learn how to sew costumes and write better lyrics, all at the ripe age of six, in hopes of making herself indispensable. But all of Rose's attention went to baby June. She was convinced that June was a prodigy and would fly into a rage at anyone who
0: disagreed. Once, the family was able to meet Anna Pavlova, one of the most famous ballerinas in the world. Rose asked if June was a natural dancer.
1: When Pavlova insisted it was too early to tell, as June's precious feet had not yet developed enough to support her, Rose swore at her and said she knew nothing.
0: Only days later, Rose appealed to the L.A. Times for a write-up on June's abilities. In the interview, she claimed that Pavlova had endorsed June. She even billed June's act as Baby June, the pocket-sized Pavlova.
1: L.A. life wasn't easy on June, who was just three or four. However, Rose was still telling people she was only two since it sounded better.
0: Rose worked June hard whenever they were in L.A. Their days were packed with auditions, performances, and intense practice. June complied stoically, never arguing with her mother, even as this activity slowly broke her young body. Rose was convinced it was the only way to get into the movies, and June did whatever Mother asked.
1: Rose would stay in Hollywood until the money ran out, then go home to Seattle and beg for more from her father. She always seemed to find more money, and the girls never got a break in their intense rehearsal schedules.
0: They should have been starting school, but Rose saw no need for that. She felt schools would taint her babies, and besides, they wouldn't have the time to rehearse or the freedom to travel and perform.
1: Rose was also neglecting basic hygiene needs, such as teaching the girls to brush their teeth. She believed, strangely, that brushing would remove the enamel from their teeth and cause them cavities. Meanwhile, Louise's twisted teeth were beginning to cause her pain. But Rose didn't want to spend any money on them.
0: Money was often tight, since it all went to costumes and travel. Rose often stayed with her father instead of paying for an apartment, but it wasn't enough. So she found another way to stretch the checkbook she and the girls began stealing clothing, jewelry, and valuables from other performers while backstage.
1: For Rose, it was all justifiable as the success started to come in. June was taking off, beginning to get bit parts in Hollywood. She was dubbed the Hollywood Baby and was particularly popular with directors because she would do whatever her mother told her.
0: June's obedience was probably due to having her mother only give her affection when she did as she was told. It also helped that Rose would do anything to get the take, including telling 4-year-old June her dog had died to get real tears.
1: While they were developmentally damaging, Rose's tactics were effective and made June a desirable child actress. She began getting small parts in motion pictures and in 1918 Harold Lloyd, who was as famous as Charlie Chaplin at the time, sought June out for his films.
0: June wasn't the only one doing well in Hollywood. Rose was only in her early 20s and quite beautiful. Young single men began proposing to her regularly.
1: Rose loved the attention, and loved to talk about how a woman should never trust a man. She turned down every suitor, But not until after taking the expensive engagement rings they bought her. She was known to always have two or three on her fingers.
0: But Rose's optimism was bigger than her management capabilities. Despite some early success, June's motion picture career came to a halt. As June turned four, other girls started getting parts over her. Rose kept lying about her age, but it didn't help.
1: While it's unclear why other girls were cast over June, Rose insisted it was because she refused to sleep with the directors like the other girls' mothers were doing. It's impossible to know if this is true or the excuse of someone with NPD.
0: Frustrated and out of money, Rose swore off Hollywood after about a year and a half of moderate success. She returned her girls to Seattle full-time, now focused on making it big on the Pacific Northwest vaudeville circuit, which spanned about seven major towns and cities in Washington, Oregon, and Northern California.
1: To get into the local circuit, Rose would have to have her daughter's act officially picked up by a booking agent. To do that, she needed an act.
0: Rose created a touring show called Baby June and Her Pals, mimicking the style of the most successful children's vaudeville acts. To really nail the style, she needed a third child. She added a young boy named Kenny she met through the dance school, convincing his parents that she'd make him famous.
1: Rose forced the three kids to rehearse endlessly and took every audition or performance she could. It paid off. In 1919, they got a touring offer in the Northwest Circuit to the tune of about $100 a week, or roughly $5,000 today.
0: With the new money, Rose expanded her operation, touring the kids around the Northwest vaudeville circuit across Washington, Oregon, and Northern California. They took her father's car for travel since it was cheaper than the train.
1: She became the girl's full-time manager, and all the money they made went to food, travel, and more costumes. Rose wanted to make it all the way to the Orpheum on the East Coast, which was the most prestigious circuit in the country. To do that, she needed an excellent resume for her girls.
0: As the act traveled around the Northwest in 1919 and 1920, Rose began a new problematic habit. She started acquiring animals, primarily dogs, and insisting they travel everywhere with the show, including hotels.
1: This meant their days on the road often involved Rose, three children, three or four dogs and sometimes rats and guinea pigs crammed into a single car with all their props and clothes.
0: Rose insisted on saving money by feeding the children coffee and toast for breakfast and cheap Chinese takeout for dinner, but she always made sure the animals could eat. This was another extension of her need to play the girls against each other. Now they were pitted against the animals for affection.
1: As their act succeeded, Rose expanded the operation. By the early 1920s, they had six backup boys, more dogs, and a pet monkey. They began touring the rest of the country, making it into increasingly prestigious circuits in the Midwest and East Coast.
0: Rose had always had the most success pitching June as a three-year-old, so she began forging birth certificates to keep June's age low. As a result, June genuinely believed she was two years younger than she really was. Her tiny body made the claim believable.
1: As the group succeeded, June began to develop an ego, and Louise began to spiral into obsession with perfectionism.
0: It was Louise who made costumes, Louise who offered suggestions for their acts, and often Louise who kept track of the children and took care of her mother's growing menagerie. This phenomenon is known as parentification.
1: Louise felt jealous that she'd never be pretty or graceful like June, so she began reading and studying when she could. She liked words, and she liked being
0: smart. June, on the other hand, got better at manipulating people as she got older. Sometimes she would refuse to perform to get her mother to buy her something. Other times, she would cry in front of hired help to get her mother to fire them.
1: During their travels, Rose also had a lot of men come around to their hotel rooms, and she was very inappropriate in how she let them interact with her girls.
0: June later reported that many of these men would have her, and possibly Louise, put their little hands down the men's trousers. The girls, barely seven and nine, didn't understand this pedophilic behavior. June later commented it was a miracle neither of them was ever raped.
1: Following the patterns of her first two marriages, Rose would butter up a suitor, use his money, and tell the girls to treat him nicely. As soon as she tired of him, she'd kick him out. The girls grew used to it.
0: Her pattern changed when the act visited Detroit in the early 1920s. While there, Rose met Murray Gordon Edelston. He fell for Rose's beauty at first sight. She fell for his silk tie, leather shoes, and imported briefcase.
1: Rose still had her eye on the Orpheum circuit, and to even get a meeting, she needed an agent. All the ones she'd met had been shady or wanted a large percentage. She had come up with a better plan. She would create her own agent.
0: Initially, Gordon wasn't sure. He was a soda pop salesman, not an agent. But Rose sweet-talked him, convincing him the sales skills overlapped. If nothing else, he was good with money.
1: Rose didn't stop there. She fell in love with Gordon, or at least seduced him. The two were married soon after.
0: Louise hated him. She was old enough by now to realize another person in her mother's life was just more competition for her love.
1: But Gordon was excellent for the act, for their finances, and for the girls' success. With Gordon on the team, Rose set her sights on the Orpheum in New York City.
0: Coming up, we'll take a look at the Hovick girls' success in New York before a shocking downturn.
1: Now back to the story. It was the early 1920s. June and Louise Hovick were seasoned successes in the national vaudeville scene.
0: Louise was only nine and June was just seven though the younger sister firmly believed she was only four-and-a-half due to Rose's habit of pretending June was younger to get more gigs.
1: The routine was shaken up some by the addition of Murray Gordon Edelston, who was strict and professional. Strangely, despite marrying Rose, Gordon insisted on sleeping in a separate room.
0: Gordon also corrected some of Rose's neglect. He finally got Louise's teeth looked at, insisted on better nutrition for the troop, and attempted to limit the number of animals Rose carted around. He even had Rose get reconstructive surgery for the wounds she'd sustained when she gave birth to Louise.
1: Gordon also found ways to save money. He switched from expensive train travel to two used cars now that they had two adults to drive them. He also saved the group money by deciding not to pay the six boys in the troupe any salary, insisting to their parents that the exposure was payment enough.
0: For a few years, the group was golden. They were booked constantly and slowly climbing toward that dream of the Orpheum Theater. But Rose's strange behaviors slowly caught up with them.
1: First, the menagerie of animals Rose had slowly collected often got them kicked out of hotels.
0: Second, Rose's tendency to steal other acts and encourage her daughters to steal costumes, wigs, and money began to cause ill will with other performers.
1: One of the troupe's lowest points was when in January 1923, the police interrupted a performance in Rochester, New York. They marched down the aisles onto the stage, put coats around the children, and escorted them to the waiting police van.
0: The children were taken for neglect and failing to meet educational standards. Rose pleaded with the officers to let the kids go, pointing out that they were healthy and well-clothed.
1: When the officers wouldn't budge, she called her father in Seattle and had him wire his best lawyer. The kids were released that night. And when Rose appeared in court a few months later, she convinced the judge to let them off.
0: He agreed under the stipulation that Rose hire the children a tutor. Rose did, but fired her shortly after for some exaggerated offense. However, she instructed the girls to refer to their tutor if police questioned them. This seems to have worked. While
1: the act was getting more popular, June and Louise's childhoods were getting more scandalous. They were allowed to roam backstage or around seedy hotels between shows, often seeing inappropriate sexual behavior between adults. Once, they even walked in on a man having sexual intercourse with the lion he used in the show.
0: Still, Rose pushed hard through the early 1920s, and the group succeeded. In one of the highest moments of Rose's life, they finally were accepted to the Orpheum Theater around 1925.
1: But the success was short-lived, June, who had been forced for nearly a decade to push her body to its extremes, had a breakdown at just 13 years old, though she believed she was 10.
0: Her body was a mess, and her mind couldn't handle the stress. The doctor prescribed two weeks in bed and no performing.
1: Rose refused to wait. Louise tried to take over the act, but she was still awkward and bony. She was intellectual, where her sister had been graceful and balletic.
0: Things were simultaneously going downhill with Gordon, who eventually left, putting them in financial strain.
1: June never fully recovered and was only becoming more rebellious. She and Rose fought more and more often, and Rose even punched June in the face.
0: Louise tried to placate everyone any way she could. On one particularly bad day, she made them all new coats, as this often lifted spirits. However, the one she made for her beloved monkey accidentally suffocated it in its sleep. Louise was heartbroken.
1: Then in 1928, at just 16 years old, June eloped with one of the boys from the act, Bobby Reed. When Rose found out, she had the police track him down. She went down to the station with her gun.
0: Rose aimed at Bobby. She tried to shoot, but the bullet held. She hadn't taken the safety off her gun. The police wrestled the weapon away from Rose. Bobby was safe and his marriage was legal. Rose was furious that her baby, who she'd put so much time and energy and hope into, had betrayed her. She disowned June, and June and Bobby left for good.
1: Louise, who was just barely 18, felt like she finally had an opportunity to be her mother's favorite and earn the family's keep. And Louise tried. She recycled acts. She tried to sing and dance. She even got a brief acting gig on a film.
0: But the final blow to the vaudeville circuit came in November of 1929 when the stock market crashed. The money dried up and things were dire. This was when Louise, barely 18, had to take family matters into her own hands. She decided to dance burlesque.
1: Rose was initially appalled. Burlesque was considered base, and Rose didn't want to forfeit their reputations. But there was almost no vaudeville work to be had, and two women and ten or so assorted animals needed to eat.
0: Louise created a persona and began to dance, making her own costumes and jokes for her performances.
1: And Louise was good at it. She wasn't the sexiest dancer, but her act was funny and smart, causing it to stand out. As she began to succeed, Rose did a 180 and was suddenly all support for her performing daughter.
0: Just as Rose had once given Louise's name to June, Rose now gave all her work on June to Louise.
1: It was now Louise who had been a prodigy dancer. Louise, who had been on screen in Hollywood. Louise, who Rose coached incessantly.
0: Rose came down hard on Louise's looks. She was 5'9 and not very curvy. Rose encouraged her to diet constantly, to the point that Louise only sipped a vegetable smoothie for sustenance and was often dizzy and undernourished.
1: Burlesque was still risky. Performers regularly were arrested and had trouble finding other work. That was why Louise decided to use a stage name. She combined her childhood nickname and her mother's name into Gypsy Rose Lee.
0: The first years were hard, and Rose's behavior sunk to new depths. Once, when the mother-daughter duo was camping outside of town to save money on hotels, Rose heard someone shuffling around outside. It was probably a homeless person.
1: Rose produced a gun Louise didn't even know she owned and shot the man. She refused to acknowledge what she'd done and asked Louise to help her bury what she called a dead cow.
0: There was a second murder when Rose shoved a booking agent out a window. She got off on self-defense, but it's unclear what instigated the fight. Records indicate that without a male manager... Rose was victim to inappropriate sexual advances by booking agents.
1: Louise weathered all of this, helping manage her mother's strange moods and taking Rose's brutal advice in order to succeed on the stage.
0: Within two years, Gypsy was turning heads and attracting major attention. In the 1930s, she signed with the biggest agent in the country, Bill Minsky.
1: June finally came to see her performances, Estranged two years now, and was shocked at what she saw. Their mother had turned her sister into a brilliant, confident strip dancer, completely going back on all the morals she had preached.
0: Gypsy became a rousing success over the next four years, but burlesque was a hard life. She was frequently arrested in raids on the burlesque theaters, and had to field advances by overly enthusiastic fans.
1: In one humiliating episode, she also found out that a secret admirer she had been corresponding with was actually her mother pretending to be a fan in order to boost Gypsy's confidence and keep her away from dating.
0: The impacts of her mother's strange parenting and constant manipulation were clear across Gypsy's life. She was anxious. She didn't trust men, but was desperate for approval. She wanted to be perfect at everything.
1: Louise eventually tried to distance herself by putting her mother up in a nice house in the suburbs so that Louise could live her own adult life. But Rose couldn't stand being sidelined and complained that Louise was actively forcing her into poor
0: conditions. Rose then sued Louise for not taking proper care of her. Meanwhile, Louise worked herself to the bone, paying for the limo her mother rode to court in and the lawyer her mother sued her with.
1: Rose's reign of terror only came to an end when she came down with colorectal cancer in the early 1950s. In
0: 1954, at 63 years old, Rose Hovick died of cancer complications.
1: For the first time in her life, Louise was free to tell her full story without fear of repercussions. Two years later she released her autobiography.
0: The autobiography was adapted into a wildly successful Broadway musical, which unfortunately drove the final wedge between June and Louise. June was angry at what she saw as an unfair portrayal of their mother. Louise was gracious in accepting her sister's loyalty to the woman who had been so cruel to her. After all, Louise was loyal to Rose as well.
1: Regardless of June's protests, Rose was forever immortalized in Lawrence's successful stage show, Gypsy, A Musical Fable. For the first time, America was exposed to the dark world of stage bombs.
0: Rose's impact outlived her, as June became a successful Hollywood actress and Louise remained a famous entertainer. However, both women struggled with body image and relationships until they died.
1: June Hovick was physically weak and emotionally unstable all her life, and Gypsy Rose Lee was never able to maintain a relationship, fix her damaged teeth, or let go of the perfectionism that had been drilled into her. She was never able to separate entirely from her abusive mother, and worried about her weight through her death.
0: Rose Hovick's story is shocking, but it isn't entirely unique. Neither was her negative impact on the psychology of her successful daughters. Stage moms were and are prevalent throughout the history of Hollywood. We only chose one outrageous, tragic story to share today.
1: These larger-than-life mothers succeed in their goals to make stars of their daughters, but are utter failures at roles typically associated with mothers, nurturing, supporting, and protecting their children.
0: They prove that fame is attainable to those who are willing to pay the price. But these children never had a choice in entering that contract.
1: And as long as there's a stage calling, there will be mothers desperate to fill it.
0: Thanks for listening to The Dark Side Of. Next week, we'll be back with more on the dark side of Hollywood.
1: You can find all of ParCast's shows on Spotify and anywhere you listen to podcasts.
0: If you enjoy the show, the best way to help is to leave a five-star review.
1: And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. We'll see you next time.
0: The Dark Side Of was created by Max Cutler, is a production of Cutler Media, and is part of the ParCast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Michael Langsner, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro and Paul Liebeskind. Additional production assistance by Maggie Admire and Carly Madden. This episode was written by Taylor Cleland and stars Kate Leonard and Richard Rosner.